This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. Oh, it feels good to say it. For those of you who are still in Thanksgiving mode and you're thinking, how dare you say Merry Christmas at November? Let me just tell you a few things I'm thankful for. Would that be okay in the vein of Thanksgiving? I am so thankful that you guys are a community and that we are a community that, that lives and gives outside of ourselves. We just wrapped up a time that we called Season of Giving over these last few years where we looked at some key places where we could give, some strategic partners that we could serve and bring some relief to this holiday season. The Redwood Gospel Mission, as we did our two-ton turkey challenge, and the totals are in. We gathered 262 turkeys, which is over two tons of turkey to help feed people at Thanksgiving. That's pretty exciting, isn't it? Yeah, I thought that was great. Uh, we partnered with uh, uh, Operation Christmas Child to, to send gifts around the world. We gathered over 200 shoeboxes to send around the world for Operation Christmas Child, which is also exciting. And I don't have the exact count on our Toffee fundraiser, which is helping us build a house in Mexico and work at the orphanage, but I do know that I unloaded a lot of boxes of toffee that you'll be enjoying in the next couple of weeks. So way to go for that as well. So in the vein of Thanksgiving, I am so thankful for you. Now Thanksgiving is over. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. I am so excited to share these next four weeks with you as we head into our Christmas season. Uh, a few things you're going to want to grab from inside your program are this card that says Start Here. It's our connection card. It's just a way to help us stay connected to you and help you stay connected to us and the things we're doing here at New Life in our city and around the world. If you would put your name on this right now and then your email address if you're a guest with us today, we would absolutely appreciate that. And by the way, every once in a while when you mark things on your card, I give you stuff and I'm giving you some stuff this week. So if for no other reason than you love free stuff, you want to get your card ready because I'm going to give you some free stuff if you mark some stuff on your card a little bit later. So go ahead and get that ready. And by the way, if you're a guest with us today and we haven't had a chance to meet yet, boy, I would love to meet you. Uh, out at Guest Central in our lobby, I'm going to make my way out there after service. I'd love to just chat with you and wish you a Merry Christmas and hear how you got to new life. And if that's not reason enough, we actually have a gift for you out there. So go and pick up your gift on the way back in. So get your card ready. You're also going to want to get our teaching notes ready. We're starting a brand new series today called Carols. And I'm so looking forward to this series because I, I love Christmas carols. Does anybody else love Christmas carols? Nice. Okay. Christmas carols are, are great. And right about now, Christmas carols are beginning to play all over these cities that we love so much. At coffee shops and waiting rooms, at the bank, in the mall. They're everywhere. And the thing I love about Christmas carols is they, they tell the story of God coming into this world. And everyone's just kind of singing these carols about God coming into the world. And, and like grandma getting run over by a reindeer and mommy kissing Santa Claus. Um, wanting a hippopotamus for Christmas. You know, really powerful songs. But mostly about God coming into the world. And that's just such a great thing to be singing about this holiday season. But the downside of Christmas carols is that they're played so much for such a short period of time that they kind of become background noise for us. We have them on, we hear them. But inside of Christmas carols are deep truths about God and about us, and about the life God created us for. And oftentimes, because they're played so often in such a short period of time, we actually miss the truth that the carols are meant to bring to us. 
So what I decided to do for this next four weeks leading up to Christmas is we're going to take a carol a week and we're going to get into it and pull out one main idea, one truth that this carol shares with us and dig into the Bible to see what it says about that truth. And my hope would be that as we go upon our way, our, our merry little way, buying presents and getting ready for Christmas, that when we hear these four carols, it would spark something in us and we'd remember a truth about God that he would want us to know this Christmas season. And the first carol we're starting with today is one of my favorites. It's O Holy Night. And O Holy Night was written in the 1800s when a French priest asked a local uh, artist to write a poem from Luke chapter 2. And the artist wrote it. Now, this artist wasn't a Christian. He was actually known in this little village as kind of a hellraiser, but an excellent poet. And so he wrote out his interpretation of Luke chapter 2. And then he asked another friend who also wasn't a Christian uh, if he would put the poem to music. And O Holy Night was the, the, um, the outpouring of this creation that these two people did together. And the Catholic Church began to play it all around the various Catholic churches in the day until the church leadership found out that it was written by a non-Christian. And then they started to try to pull it off the shelf uh, so that the churches wouldn't be playing it. The problem was it had gained so much momentum at this point uh, that you could not stop it. So O Holy Night became uh, a timeless classic for us. And I want you guys to enjoy as our worship team leads us in their rendition of the Christmas carol that almost wasn't. We invite you to sing along as well. And I know we don't know all the words to all the carols, so we put words on the screen as well. So you can join us. We'll be one choir singing to heaven.
could have clapped for like 20 more seconds while I had a sip of water. That would have been okay. I don't know about you, but when I hear that song, it brings up memories of the nativity scene. You might know of it as the manger scene. And the nativity scene for me brings up a lot of emotion. See, I grew up in a little town in Southern California called Glendora, and my wife affectionately refers to it as Glendora Berry because nothing ever changes in Glendora. They've got this quaint little main street, and at the end of it, every year, uh, they have a live nativity scene, complete with sheep and donkeys and a cow or two. It's, it's really fun. And as a kid, every year, we'd bundle up, you know, in the 65-degree frigid temperatures of Southern California, we'd bundle up. And we'd head to the nativity scene, and we'd spend the night there, and they'd give you free hot chocolate, and they'd tell the story of Jesus being born from the book of Luke. And then someone would walk around, and they'd show you a little tract about how you can give your life to God. It was a very, very neat moment. And I remember as a kid thinking, parenting is so easy. Here's why. I looked at this young mother in the nativity scene, and she was holding baby Jesus, and baby Jesus was silent the entire time. I mean, that little baby in that scene didn't move, didn't make any noise, and I found out later that it was plastic. It was all a sham. Had I known, it would have changed everything. But there was something very surreal about that quiet, sterile moment that I don't think does justice to the actual nativity scene. Now, contrast that with the experience I had a handful of years later. I was at my, my friend's church. It was Christmas Eve, and they decided on stage to do a live nativity scene with, with sheep and with a donkey and with some cows. And it was a great idea. All these, they bring them all up onto stage, and he's preaching his Christmas Eve message. And all of a sudden, I don't know what the cows, what they ate for dinner, but they let go on stage. And you could smell it. I mean, it was like, it was like SeaWorld for the first four rows in the splash zone. You know what I'm talking about? It, I don't, we don't need to get graphic, but it was bad. Now, that was a Christmas Eve fail. It was an epic fail, and yet I think that was actually more inclined to the reality of that holy night than the sterile scene we had with plastic baby Jesus. Let's just go back in our minds for a few minutes to imagine what it must have been like for Mary and Joseph on that night. Picture a newlywed couple in their teens— She's nine months pregnant, and they find out they need to travel anywhere from 80 to 120 miles, depending on where exactly they were, from the town they're living in back to David's hometown because a census is being taken. And so they've got a donkey, she hops on, and they're riding. And I can just imagine, because they're newlyweds, what some of those nights must have been like as they walked along. Mary's saying, hey, Joe, are you sure you know where you're going? Hey, Joe, do you need to stop and ask for directions? And he's like, I got it, Mary, I got it. Just me? And then silence as all you hear is donkey hooves for another couple miles. And then he says, I'm sorry, baby. And they don't know. Is she going to go into labor at any moment? See, we have hindsight. We can read their stories, but they don't know when that night's going to be. Is it going to happen on this dirt road in the middle of the night, in the middle of nowhere? They finally get to Bethlehem, and they go around to the various inns to try to find a place to sleep, but there's no room for them in the hotels, so they end up in the manger, in the nativity scene, which is, which is probably not a whole lot more than just a cave where animals would take refuge from the harsh weather. And so they go into this cave where the animals are, and right there, Mary goes into labor. It's not sterile, there's no epidural, no ice chips, no birth plan— 
not even time for Joseph to put on his Coach Joseph, number one surrogate father t-shirt. I mean, there's no time for anything. And there, with the smell of animals, she gives birth. And we have this song, Oh Holy Night. And I'm thinking to myself, Oh Holy Moly, that is quite, that is quite a night for this couple. And as the poet read through Luke 2 and penned his poem, he added a line in there that I think is brilliant. He says this, A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. Why? Because in the midst of this night, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Jesus entering into the world brought about a thrill of hope because there was a new and glorious day breaking. Now, for some of us, Christmas is a time of joy, of celebration. Our hearts are full of love and family and friends and presence, and it brings all sorts of great memories. But for many of us and for many of the people who we rub shoulders with every day in our neighborhoods, in work, in school, two words epitomize Christmas. Weary and world. Weary world. See, weary world seasons happen for all kinds of reasons. And many of us will go through weary world seasons, and Christmas brings them to the forefront. It could be a tragedy that brings about a weariness in your soul. Christmas, this might be the first year after you've lost a loved one, and you have memories of so many Christmases with that person, and now they're not here. That brings about a weary world sort of pain in your heart. The busyness of Christmas brings about its own weariness, doesn't it? On top of work and school and homework, now you have to buy presents and clean the house and cook food. And there's a weariness to it. Maybe work is wearying right now. The workload is full, or you might not know if your company is going to get acquired, if you're going to have a job as you head into the holiday season. Maybe it's, maybe it's marriage. Maybe you've been working and working on this marriage, and it doesn't seem to be getting any easier you haven't had that breakthrough that you've prayed about, you hoped for. And as the months turn into years, there's a weariness about it. Maybe it's your finances for a lot of families, especially with children. Christmas brings a weariness because we don't know will we be able to buy presents for our kids this year. And there's a weariness to it. Maybe it's an addiction. None of us, none of us wants to be addicted to anything, whether it's a substance uh, or, or an attitude or a habit, because we know it traps us. And yet many of us have tried to break free from addiction, only to find ourselves right back in that cycle. And if you've ever been addicted to something, you know the hopelessness and the weariness that that addiction causes. Friends, there's much opportunity for weariness in the holiday season. But my hope for us is that in weary world seasons of life, whether you're in one now or you go into one someday, that you would experience the thrill of hope this Christmas season because yonder breaks a new and glorious morn because there's hope with Jesus. And I want to talk about that today. And I actually want to dig into an Old Testament book of the Bible that, that was written in a weary world season of life. 
It's a book of the Bible called Lamentations, and it's a whole book written in a weary sort of time by a prophet named Jeremiah when God's people had their lands and their identity taken from them, and he writes this whole book mourning and grieving and lamenting over the fact that they lost so much because they had turned their backs on God. But in the midst of his weary world season of life, Jeremiah writes about the hope of a new day with God. And he does it beginning in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 20. He says, I remember them, the people, and my soul is downcast within me. That's his weariness. Yet this I will call to mind, and I will have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, he says, we are not consumed by this weariness. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, God. And so Jeremiah says, I'm going to say to myself and to all the people, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. And he says, it's good to wait quietly for the salvation of God. And here's what Jeremiah is doing in Lamentations chapter 3. He's reminding us of the truth that with God, there's hope of a new day. That when we find ourselves in a weary world season of life, that does not have to be the end. That there's a new hope coming with a new day. And I want to talk about at least three things that a new day with Jesus brings. And the first is this. A new day with Jesus brings us exactly what we need each day. Jeremiah says something in verse 24 that would seem a little bit odd if we didn't know the background. He says, the Lord is my portion. And we think to ourselves, that's, a, that's an odd little phrase. Why would he say the Lord is my portion? What Jeremiah is doing is he's actually thinking back to a time that's recorded in a book of the Bible called Exodus, where God's people had been in slavery for 400 years to the Egyptian rulers and then God freed them from slavery, and they went into this wilderness time, this land, kind of a deserty type area, where they wandered for 40 years. And in the 40 years, they were constantly wondering, how are we going to survive? How are we going to eat? Who's going to take care of us? And they cried out to God, God, give us some food. And God gave them this amazing food. It, we're told that dew came down in the early morning, and it rested on the land, and that dew turned into this flaky bread-like substance, and they came out of their tents, and they saw this stuff, and they looked at each other, and they said, what is it? I don't know, Joe. What do you think it is? I don't know. What is it? They said, well, that's what we're going to call it. We're going to call it what is it, because we don't know what it is. And they did. They called it manna. Manna literally means what is it? What is it? I don't know. That's a good name for it. By the way, if you're pregnant right now, be careful the names that you choose for your baby when you're joking around, because it might stick. Like, what is it? Okay? I'm just saying. Just saying, let's call the baby, what is it? Manna, that's a good name for a kid. If that's you and you do that, please call it Manna Douglas. That's my middle name, and then your last name. That would be appropriate. There you go. What is it? It's this delicious bread-like stuff that God delivered to them every morning. But here's the thing. God gave them a command in the midst of it. He said, only gather one portion of manna each day. If you gather more, if you gather a portion for tomorrow, then over the course of the night, I'm going to cause that portion to be rotten, and it will be no good for you the next day. Why did he do it? He said, because I want you to know that I'm with you each and every day. 
and that I will take care of you today. And when we get to tomorrow, I will take care of you tomorrow. And when we get to the next day, I will take care of you the next day. God says, I want to be your portion, just like I gave you a portion of bread each day in the wilderness. And if we're going through a weary world season of life right now, it's so easy to look ahead to tomorrow and next week and next month. And the more we do it, we borrow troubles from the days ahead and we heap them on ourselves. And all of a sudden we're overwhelmed and we can't function because we don't know how I'm going to make it through the days to come. And here's what God would say to you. Let me be your portion today. I will give you what you need each day. And you're thinking to yourself, because we're not so different, you and I, you're thinking to yourself, well, what about tomorrow? Who's going to take care of tomorrow and the next day of this weary world season of life? And the great thing about God is God exists outside of time. And we're told that God's already in tomorrow, preparing tomorrow for you there, and he will give you exactly what you need. One of the titles for Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God is with us. On Christmas, we celebrate that God left heaven and came to earth, and God was with us. He dwelled among us. And then after Jesus died on the cross and rose again, before he went back up to heaven to be with God the Father, he said to them, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And so if you're in a weary world season right now, and you don't know how you're going to gain to get through each day, God would say to you, I promise you, I promise you, I'm with you today. And I'll be with you tomorrow and the next day, and the next day. And not only am I with you, I'm going to give you what you need to survive this weary world season of life. A new day with Jesus brings us exactly what we need for the day, so we don't have to borrow tomorrow's troubles and add them on to today. We can engage with today, trusting that God will be with us tomorrow. And a new day with Jesus brings us the help that we're seeking I love what Jeremiah says in verse 26. He says, sometimes we need to wait for the day that the Lord brings about his salvation. Every week at church, I end our messages with an invitation for you to give your life to Jesus, to experience his salvation, to be transformed, because a relationship with God where we transfer our trust from ourselves over to God, it is a game changer for us. But you know why I do it each week? I do it because I never know if today's going to be your day for salvation. I just never know. And the truth is, you might not know. You might think you're here because a friend invited you. They promised you lunch afterwards. They said we had good coffee and good music. But the truth is, today could be the day of your salvation, where God says, I want you to know how much I love you, that I gave my life for you, because I want to walk in relationship with you. That day, that day, will change everything from that day forward. So at the end of our time together, I'm going to give you a chance to enter into a relationship with God because you never know, today could be your day. And it's so beautiful. Each week, one or two or three or four people enter into a relationship with God. They start that journey, and it changes their life here, and it changes, changes their forever life in heaven. It's a beautiful thing. But God offers us, through Jesus, the help that we're seeking for our eternal salvation, but also for day-to-day -day living. Think about this. If you're a follower of Jesus, you never know if today could be the day that God saves you in some area of your life. It could be a relationship that's been broken, that you've been praying and praying for God to heal. And today could be the day 
where you get that phone call from a son or a daughter who you haven't talked to in months or years and that relationship gets healed. Today could be the day of your salvation. It could be a job. You've been praying for God to give you a job and tomorrow you may wake up and have that offer you've been waiting for. Tomorrow could be the day of your salvation. It could be addiction. Addiction is one of those things that feels so hopeless to so many of us. But today could be the day of your salvation, of freedom from that addiction. Today could be the first day of sobriety. You might look back in 10 years and 20 years and say, this was the day that God changed my thinking, that I put my faith in him, began depending on him, and not depending on this addiction that's been holding me down. Today could be the day where God does something new. It could be your marriage. You've been praying and praying that God would break down a wall between you and your spouse, that they would know that you love them, that you would engage with them in a different way. And today could be the day that God breaks through to them or breaks through to you or gives you a heart that wants to serve and love them. Today could be the day of your salvation. It could be sickness. Here's what we know about God. God has the power to miraculously heal us from sickness and disease and cancer. Now, we also know that we live in a world where sin has entered in and sin brings death. And so God doesn't always heal. And even when he does, the mortality rate still hovers at just about 100% last time I checked. So it's temporary at best, but sometimes God does heal. And today could be the day. Tomorrow could be the day. Tuesday when you go to the doctor could be the day that they say, your skin is clear, you're cancer-free. As Jesus followers, the great news for us is we can wake up every day with hope of a new day, because we never know, is today going to be the day that God moves on my behalf and does something and gives me the help that I'm seeking? There's hope in that, because you just never know. But it does beg the question, what do we do when God doesn't miraculously intervene? Because they call them, they call them miracles. They don't call them regulars for a reason. Because it's miraculous when God does something to prolong life, but it's not the everyday. So what do we do when God doesn't intervene? Well, here's the last truth that that leads us to. A new day with Jesus gives us the hope that we need to keep going. Studies have shown that people can live up to 40 days without food, up to eight days without water, and up to four minutes without oxygen, but it's my observation that they can only live a few seconds without hope. And we know that intuitively, so we put our hope in things all the time, our hope for security, our hope for acceptance, our hope for love, and all sorts of different things. Some of us put it in our wealth. Some of us put it in our kids and their future. Some of us put it in our job and job security. Some of us put it in our, in our spouse, others in our stuff. And None of those things are bad. Your kids are bad sometimes, but that's a different sermon for a different day. Those things are actually really good. Work, family, love, joy, celebration, good things. The problem is they're fleeting. They're not eternal things. See, life is fragile, but things are temporary. And when we put our hope in temporary, fragile things, when those things are no longer here, our hope fades away. Money can run out. 
kids can grow up and move away. A spouse can get sick. The stuff can get old. But through Jesus, God offers us eternal hope, not temporary hope. He offers us a hope of eternal salvation. And when we have eternal hope in God, those other things are just gifts and blessings that we can enjoy along the way. The last book of the Bible is a book called Revelation. It was written by one of Jesus' best friends, a guy named John. He was one of the the 12 apostles, one of Jesus' 12 followers, and he was the last living apostle. And when he was very, very old, God gave him a vision of what, what it would look like when the world wrapped up, the culmination of this life. And in Revelation chapter 1, he says, this is what it's going to look like. In verse 3, he says, I heard a loud voice from the throne. Here's what it was saying. It was saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be God's people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Notice what he says next. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. I think some of us need to hear that this morning. Because we've lost a loved one. And Christmas is bringing a very painful, weary world season. Because we're going through a serious illness right now. And the future is uncertain. Because someone did us wrong, a relationship has been broken, and it grieves us every time the holidays roll around. And God would say this, a new day with Jesus offers us eternal hope that even when sickness ends in death, even when the bottom falls out of our marriage, even if the kids go sideways, if the company has layoffs, even when things like global poverty and terrorist bombings are unfathomable and extremely painful and look like there's no end in sight, even in those days, we can have hope to keep going. In the weariest of weary world moments, Christmas reminds us that God has done the ultimate miracle and that every other miracle is just icing on the cake. And here's the ultimate miracle. God, the creator of all things, the creator of the universe who simply spoke and the world came into being, God shrunk himself down into a little baby and was born in a dirty, animal-infested cave. Our creator came to be with us, to show us that he'll always be with us. And he lived a perfect life. And then he gave his life on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin, which was death and separation from God. And he died, and he was buried, and then he did the ultimate miracle. He rose from the dead, breaking the power of death and sin and destruction forever and offering us the greatest gift that anyone could ever give, the gift of forgiveness, the gift of our salvation, and the gift of a relationship with God in this life and in eternity. And if you're here today and you're a Jesus follower, that should give you great hope. 
that this world that is so real to us right now is simply a dash between two dates. And our real life begins at the end of that second date. Our eternal life with God in heaven. That this is a snapshot. It feels so long some days. But it's a snapshot of our eternity with God. Where God himself will wipe every tear. There will be no more sickness, no more pain, no more death, no more destruction. And we'll see God face to face. And that gives us the hope in these weary world moments to keep going. It gives us our portion enough each day. He gives us what we need, and he gives us the hope to keep going. A thrill of hope that even in the weary world we can rejoice because yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. And if you're here this morning and you've never entered into a relationship with God, you've never experienced God's forgiveness, the freedom of being forgiven by your creator, if you've never experienced God filling you with his Holy Spirit and giving you the power to live the life you were created to live, if you've never if you've never decided once and for all that Jesus is your leader and your savior, and if you've never secured your place in heaven, then today is your day of salvation. You think you're here because someone brought you or because the kids woke up early and were playing with the Christmas ornaments and you thought, what the heck, I might as well come to church. The Niners aren't playing until 1.30 and let's be honest. But the truth is, you're here because today is the day of your salvation. Because God's calling you to himself. And in just a minute, I'm going to pray and give you a chance to enter into a relationship with God that changes your life here as you walk in partnership with him and changes your eternity forever. So I'm going to pray. I want to actually pray for two things. One is, we're going to close our eyes and, and bow our heads in just a second. Or you can keep your head up if you want to. I'm not your boss. We're going to close our eyes, and I'm going to ask us to do something that we don't do very often. If you're going through a weary world season of life, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand in the air, and then I'm going to pray for you. Because I don't, I don't want you to leave here without someone praying for you today. And then after that, I'm going to give those of us who have never entered into a personal relationship with God, I'm going to give us a chance to do that. To start that journey with Him. To experience the best Christmas present that anyone will ever give you. So if you're ready to do that, make that decision, then I'm going to ask you in that moment to pray a prayer of commitment with me as you engage with God. So would you join me? Let's pray together. Let's close our eyes. And if you're here today, you're going through a weary world season, would you just raise your hand in the air right now? Because I want to pray for you. Yeah, I see you guys. All right, I want to pray for God to move in your life. You can put your hands down. God, so many friends in this room are in the midst of a weariness for all number of reasons. And God, you promise us that you give us hope in the midst of our weary world. And so I'm asking, Holy Spirit, that even now in this moment, you would begin to infuse their lives with hope, knowing that you're with them every day, that you will give them the strength they need to make it through knowing that their eternal hope rests in you. I pray, Lord, 
for specific situations where they're going through difficult times, God, that you would miraculously intervene, that you would move on their behalf. God, that they would know the words that Jesus spoke as true as anything, that you will never leave them or forsake them, and that this is a season, not an eternal So God, would you give my friends hope today? As we continue to pray, if you're ready to commit your life to God, to start that journey with him, to say to Jesus, I'm done being my own leader and my own savior, and I'm ready for you to be my leader and my savior. You can repeat these words after me. Just say, Lord God, I believe that you love me and that you gave your life to pay the penalty for my sin. And I want to have a relationship with you. So would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? And would you show me what it looks like to walk with you every day from this day forward, even as I walk into eternity? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.